so it's cool because even Canadian spies listen to The Art of Charm is what you're saying. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. Or at least one of them. The other guys do. They just don't. They can't talk about it. That's right. I, right. I, I would like to kill you, but I'd have to ask your permission first because this is Canada. Because it's Canada. So, right. <laughs> I'd <laughs> have I to tell say you, sorry to I'd have to kill you, but in a very polite, charming way. Yeah. All right, Mr. Bond. Please, please step into the closet and tie yourself up. Uh, Not too tight, though. What if I don't want to? Can yeah. I? Can I? Can I get a coffee first? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> tea, coffee, snack. This is the art of charm. Learn everything you need to know to crush it in business, love, and life. The art of charm is where ordinary guys become extraordinary men. Welcome to The Art of Charm. I'm Jordan Harbinger. The Art of Charm brings together the best minds in the industry to teach you how to crush it in life, love, and at work. Imagine having a mix of experienced mentors teaching you their expertise and packing decades of research, testing, and tough lessons into a concise curriculum. We've created one of the premier lifestyle programs available anywhere, and it's free. This is the show we wish we had a decade ago. Make sure to stay up to date with everything going on here and get some great content and free products and books that we don't or can't share on the show by signing up for the newsletter at theartofcharm.com. This show is about you. We're here to help you become the best you can be in every area of your life. If you're new to the show but you want to know where to begin or where to find out more about what we teach here at the Art of Charm Live programs in Los Angeles, you can go to the website and we'll email you a starter kit of all the top podcasts here on the Art of Charm. We'll send you all the fundamentals, such as body language, vocal tonality, eye contact, dating, attraction, business networking, negotiation, relationship management, all that and more, pretty much all the stuff we wish we'd learned and mastered years ago. We've got our live programs running every single week here in Los Angeles, California. We have guys from all over the world at any given time. Details on that at theartofcharm.com slash bootcamp. Call us in the office or email me at jordan at theartofcharm.com. I read everything, and I'm looking forward to meeting you here at AOC. Today we're talking with my friend Adam Nasralla. He's the co-founder of something called Ronin Private Intelligence, and he used to be a Canadian spy or Canadian intelligence officer with CSIS. And we're going to talk about how during his investigations he used certain tools and skill sets, much of which is mirrored here at AOC, to develop rapport and trust with contacts, confidential informants, and other folks that he needed to to get in with in order to do his job. We're going to talk about communications, relationship building, persuasion, networking and all those related skills that make winners into champions and, quite frankly, make good spies. So enjoy this one with Adam Nasrallah. So you're the co-founder of Ronin Private Intelligence, which is awesome. I mean, that just sounds badass. And it came to me totally incidentally. Um, While watching it, a Robert De Niro movie. Yeah, yeah, no relation to the movie, I'm sure. It has absolutely nothing to do with it. Right. But, uh, we look at it kind of like a tongue-in-cheek sort of uh, farewell to our former employer because now we're, uh, you know, we're wandering masterless spies. I guess you could put it that way. That's okay. That's I mean, that just sounds even more badass. So tell us, <laughs> tell us what you do. I mean, first of all, your name is Adam Nasralla. So your name sounds am I Lebanese? Lebanese by descent, right. and uh, no relation to the other Nasrallah who causes uh, the Western world no shortage of problems in Lebanon, oh, I promise. Have not heard about that, but yeah. now I don't believe you because you threw that there. Now, uh, so so what is private intelligence? I mean, you were a Canadian spy for a while. That just sounds so funny. Um, Canadian intelligence, are you mad? But hey, what we got an honorable mention at the end of uh, the last Bond movie. You know, Do they throw shout-outs in Bond movies? 
Apparently they do, and they're not worth much. It was uh, it was nice to finally be recognized. So your company did, or just Canadian intelligence in general? <laughs> Canadian intelligence. Because okay. <laughs> I was going to say business must be through the roof. Um, so you're a former Canadian intelligence officer with what's the Canadian intelligence agency? Called. The acronym is CSIS, and it stands for the Canadian Security Intelligence Service. Okay. So we're uh, a domestic security service, not unlike your FBI, but okay. um, unlike the FBI, we don't have uh, the power to arrest or detain, and we don't have firearms. We're purely investigative. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, I guess you couldn't be Canadian Intelligence Agency because the acronym was already taken. <laughs> now that I think about it, and you worked as a counterintelligence case officer. What does that mean? Intelligence is confusing enough to the layman, but counterintelligence is like, what does that even mean? Well, the long and the short of it is that um, other countries send people to uh, Western worlds, as they do, they send them everywhere, and um, they have different mandates to steal industrial secrets, to figure out what the domestic governments are doing policy-wise, or to spy on their own communities. So, you know, you take a country that uh, is has an oppressive or dictatorial regime they may send somebody here to work and and spy on the expat community and if that community gets too caught up in the idea of western rights and freedoms um what they'll do is they'll they'll leverage the families back home so here in canada we would keep an eye on those spies and um try to stay abreast of the things that they were doing to mitigate that threat because you know as far as we're concerned once you come here you're a canadian right so nobody has the right to mess with your freedoms Perfect. Yeah, I, I like that. And I like that idea. And I think I would like to think the United States does the same thing. But it's, it's funny because I, I thought of you the other day after we talked originally because I was headed to the airport and my cab driver, she was from Eritrea, which no one knows about or Eritrea. And no one knows about that place. But it's actually like in many ways worse than North Korea in terms of like freedom and oppression. Or lack and of Eritrea factors pretty significantly. I mean, you've all heard of a little place called Somalia, and uh, you've all heard of a little place called Yemen, no doubt, right? I mean, everybody watches Fox and CNN, and uh, Eritrea is effectively smack in the middle of it, of the two. Uh, there's, there's a bit of water between them, but, um, you know, uh, weapons and money and radicals come through Eritrea back and forth. It's a it's a place not a lot of people know about, but it plays an important role in the global sort of jihadist uprising interesting yeah i mean i wouldn't have thought about that but the the reason that i brought it up is because she is always watching her back and <laughs> because she speaks out about eritrea she's an activist and her family yep. is kind of back there but they kind of escape some of them escape to ethiopia and she's constantly worried that somebody from eritrea is going to just like stop at the grocery store where she shops and take her out yeah and it's not totally unfounded, according to what you're kind of mentioning here, where people don't want to hear their dear leader badmouthed, even if it's in Canada. And so your job is to make sure that they realize that they're not in North Korea anymore. Exactly. Exactly. And that, and that was a part of my job. That was the first sort of little sliver of my career. And then I, I moved into counterterrorism, and I was a field officer here in, uh, in the communities in Canada. Interesting. And so being an outsider or being Canadian, you're an outsider in all these expat communities. You must have developed a lot of expertise in building relationships, recruiting informants, handling people, and investigating. Obviously, as an investigator, you do plenty of investigating. So this skill set is particularly interesting because not only are you a master of probably killing people with your bare hands, you've got to be an expert in communicating with people 
to get them to like and trust you enough to spill the beans. Exactly right. So what do you think is some of the most useful skills, the tricks of the trade that you can teach uh, in an audio-only format here? Because obviously you broker influence, connections, etc. What do you do now that you're in the private sector? Well, I do a couple of things. One of the things that we do is conduct investigations for what we call discerning clients. So as opposed to, you know, most of us are used to the Marlowe or um, what was that Burt Reynolds show, Magnum PI, uh-huh. where, you know, you're following around the cheating spouses or here in Canada, insurance fraud's a big thing, right? A guy claims uh, disability and he's out shoveling his driveway. I know you guys in California can't relate to that, but it's, it's a big scam here up in uh, the Great White North. No, we we do that all the time, and we also have snow in Michigan where I come from. But you're right; it, it happens a lot. Oh, I can't, I can't do anything. And yeah, the cliche is he's he gets caught shoveling his driveway. Yeah, and it happens. It's it's a true story. But uh, we try to stay away from that. We like to work with some um, investigations that are a little higher profile, that require a bit more of a delicate touch, where the stakes for the people involved are higher. So when there's a risk of serious reputational damage or serious loss of assets or a catastrophic lifestyle change. So you can't just approach it from, you know, a one PI with a $600 camera in the back of a minivan type of thing. You need, <laughs> yeah. you need proper planning and you need a little bit of finesse and patience and it. It takes a, a totally different level of game. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you think are some of the most important ways that people can start to apply this? I mean, what do spies do, even Canadian ones that we can do? As well. Effectively, the most important thing is communication. So there are two um, columns to this temple, if you like. Communication and relationship building. Okay, Those two things overcome almost every difficulty. If you have the patience to listen properly and really communicate. So that means not just listen so that you can answer, but listen so that you understand what truly motivates a person. And I don't mean, you know, what their favorite hockey team is or, you know, uh, what they like to do on Saturday night with their girlfriend. I mean, there's a deeper, a subtext, if you like, to everything that motivates a person and getting deep down with them and building the trust and the relationship that allows you to get at that motivation is those are the keys to the kingdom. Because from there, you can start to speak to a person in their own language, on their own terms. You can relate to them in a way that makes them attached to you. So they they feel that you understand them. The old saying goes, people want to do business with those they like, trust, and respect. Yes. And when you have those three things, uh, the answer is more often than not, yes, or at least a very strongly considered, okay, let me think about it. But, you know, let me think about it as something you can turn into a yes, again, with enough patience and persistence and proper courtesy and good communication. You can overcome almost every obstacle. So... You know, we talk about building a circle of trust around you. You only go as high as your five closest friends. But it gets deeper than that, right? I mean, you've got to have a great dynamic with people. You need to understand people, what makes them tick, how to meet their deepest-seated needs, right? And to get them to like and trust you so that they'll do business with you if that's your end goal. Or or just to get them to like and trust you because that's what's good for your family, if it's a family member, et cetera. I mean, it's all over work and personal. Yeah, and it has applications right from, you know, getting a great deal when you buy your next car to persuading your teenage kid to get off the pot, you know. It uh, it has worldwide applications across your life, across your career, across the whole sphere of your relationships. So how can you do it? The first thing is to understand that most communication and 
you you go over this quite a bit in your show. You you have something of a, an authoritative presence on this, Jordan. I'll tell you because I, I listen to your podcast a lot. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> no, I appreciate it. You listen, okay. Obviously, I want everybody to know that the CSIS, not to be confused with the Canadian intelligence agency that doesn't exist, listens to the show because I think that's great. That's good to know. And not just that you listen to the show, but good to know that that these principles overlap with because for you guys, this is if you don't do this right, someone dies. Well, that I mean, that's it. You've probably got salespeople or you've got guys who are working on their game because they want to get uh, they want to have more success with women or maybe people who just want to come out of their shells. Right. Mm -hmm. And when you're out there doing field work, you know, and you have a bad night, you're a little bit off. The consequences are minor. Right. Jim, maybe you get a drink thrown in your face or maybe you get, you know, laughed off. But at worst. For, Usually, no, usually there's no real consequence to it at all. It's like except oh. for your ego, right? Yeah, it's all yeah, it's all ego. It's all self-imposed. So for me, walking in or trying to walk into someone's house and have a frank conversation with them about, you know, say a brother or or a a, a father who we suspected of some kind of really nefarious activity, and getting the door slammed in my face or having them be able to convincingly lie to me, that carried very serious consequences. It, it doesn't necessarily mean something could go boom, but they could be on a plane tomorrow and way the hell out of Dodge, and that's it. We lose their beat on them forever. So, you know, the, the weight of failure sat very heavy on our shoulders. So in order to uh, to really achieve success, we had to build relationships very deliberately, very patiently, and, and really observing what it takes to connect with somebody. So it's it's not just as simple as, you know, a good look in the eye, a smile, a firm handshake, and establish yourself as an authority. You have to have things like cultural and situational awareness because if you walk in, lock eyes with somebody and they look down right away, you, you may have sold the farm. You've, yeah. you've got you've to adapt. Exactly. Yeah, perfect. And yeah, you, you've put this to test in a place where failure was not just like, okay, we learned from that. It's like, oh my God, that was a disaster. Um, and that's great because like you said, when we're looking at social experiments or even business experiments, it's not, you're not looking at catastrophic results or consequences from failure. So it definitely makes sense to, to learn and master this stuff in our shoes. If you guys are using it, we should be using it, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, really what intelligence officers do is they get really good at being people. So we all have the tools. I, I tell my students this when I train them um, in, you know, salesmanship or communication that I'm often not telling anybody anything they don't already know. I mean, we have the software for this from the time we're about six days old. They say that babies at six days old have learned how to manipulate their parents through crying, right? So wow. basically from early infancy, you have the tools of nonverbal communication and you, you can pick up the nuances and things like tones of voice and body language and facial expressions. It's just, it all gets gummed up with social filters and, and, you know, clutter and media influences. And we forget that sometimes we need to take a really logical and deliberate approach to how and why we're communicating. And that's what intelligence officers do. You know, we really practice deliberate communication, how we communicate, how we come off, really paying attention to how other people are communicating and then responding with intention. So it's not just, I always tell people, you know, if you have to say to somebody, yeah, I understand, you don't understand. Don't say the U word. I mean, communicate it through some type of empathy or, or through 
a story or a, an anecdote that shows that you've lived an experience where you felt the same thing. If you have to say, oh, I get you, you you've lost them. Right. Okay. And so what do we do instead? I would say that, uh, well, let's give, give you an example, okay, Jordan? Let's say you had a rough night. Uh, you, you had a, a rough night with your girlfriend and, you know, you had a bad fight and you come to me and we want to have a drink and you, you're, you're complaining and you're saying, she just doesn't get me. We fight about the stupidest things. And the first thing I say is, I get you, buddy. I mean, that's, a, that's the poor man's attempt to, to sympathize and empathize. What I might want to do is say, you know, I hate it when stuff like that happens. It's just like they're not even listening to the things you want them to hear. And so I'm giving you something concrete that shows I've been through the same emotion as you. I have felt the frustration and I'm relating it in words. So it's an, an added bonus, right? It's something you can relate to. But the other thing about putting yourself into an empathetic state is, and I'm sure you realize this when you do field work with your guys, is that if you practice empathy, you start to feel the state in your own body. So if I start to f- express frustration through a combination of what I'm saying and how I use my body and the way I say it, I'll start to feel frustrated. Mm-hmm. So then that instantly puts me in a state where I can actually relate to you. Okay, right. So it's almost like that concept of mirroring or whatever, except instead of doing it deliberately by like I put my hand on my shoulder, you put your hand on your shoulder, like that weird kind of mechanical stuff. You're actually getting into the same emotional state as the person that you're talking to. Exactly. And you had a wicked podcast a few weeks ago with Jarek Robbins, uh, Tony Robbins' son. Right. And I'm a big fan of the Robbins guys because Tony, what he used to do back in the 90s is he would get people to stare up at the ceiling with an ear-to-ear grin, right? And they'd all start to laugh and giggle uncontrollably because they felt so stupid. But then he'd ask them how they felt and everybody would be on top of the world. And he says, okay, so we all know, you know, when you're sad, you're slouchy and you frown and your internal state influences your physiology. But he would demonstrate very powerfully that you could influence your internal state the other way around. So if you just stand up straight, breathe deeply, smile and say, God damn it, I feel good. Chances are you will. Yeah, it's all mind follows the body, the body follows the mind. And and you're using this even when you're creating contacts or handling informants and things like that. How does this work in that context? Well, you have to um you really have to watch how this person wants to interact with you, you know. So I used to have uh, we we call them uh I think they call them CIs in the US law enforcement right. confidential informants. Here in Canada, we are typically referred to them as sources. And, you know, they come like every person does. They come in different temperaments. They come with uh, different senses of humor. And uh, you'd watch and you would, if a guy was joking around and swearing with you, that's where you'd go with him. You'd laugh. You'd slap him on the back. You'd make jokes about your wife or girlfriend. And that's what, that's how you got through the door. But in the process of doing that, you'd start to feel really uh, jocular and humorous with the guy. And then he'd get that from you, right? People are like tuning forks. So he'd get it from you that you were starting to enjoy yourself having a good laugh and then he'd open right up. And the old saying goes, if you've ever read any of uh, like Jack Schaefer's uh, stuff or Navarro's stuff on lie detection and, and interviewing, people just want to tell you everything. If you give them the opportunity, they will give you everything. It's just about creating the right emotional tone so that they feel confident to do that. Excellent. Okay. And so how do we start to get good at this? I mean, a lot of people are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Read body language. Yeah. This is really tough. Or like, what are some of the puzzle pieces of like profiling someone, you know, like, what are you looking for? 
Um, wow, we could go deep on this. I'll tell you how I, how I sort of did it in an ad hoc way. I developed this little informal process. And when I talk about process, you got to remember that like anything else that's living and dynamic from time to time, even though you go A, B, C, D, E, F, G, sometimes you got to jump back and forth, back to B, back to C, you run around in circles. So it's a living thing, but it basically goes like this. You start out with a powerful introduction. So you establish yourself as a person who is competent, confident, who is trustworthy and likable and who can get whatever the job is, can get it done, okay? With a minimum of things like authoritarianism and intimidation, you want to be the go-to guy or the go-to girl for the person you're talking to. So if that's a salesperson, you don't want to be, you know, my dental supply sales guy. You want to be the trusted advisor on anything related to the business, so you establish that through a combination of your, your charisma and your persona and your presentation. And it has to be appropriate to, to the audience. You know, if you're going into a country club, you, you dress and act and carry yourself a certain way. If you're going into a biker bar, different story. Right. And, and everybody kind of knows that, right? Like we know, okay, we got to change our, the way we act for the context, but how do we know what to do, right? Because everybody, everybody's like, you know, when you're going to the boardroom, you got to be one way. When you go talk to your family, you got to be another way. Like only the most emotionally stunted person doesn't know that, right? But how do we figure out what we need to be if I'm talking to a group of young entrepreneurs versus talking to a group of people that have been established for 20 years. Like you, you think, Oh yeah, there's a difference. But then if I was like, if I was to sit someone down and say, what's the difference and how do you modify your behavior? They would be like, uh, right. I don't know. And that's an excellent question. So that that's part two of the model. That's called the baseline. And again, I'll go back to the, the law enforcement thing. Cause that's what I know. Yeah. Do law enforcement. Nobody's worth. Listen, if people can't figure out how to apply spy tactics and law enforcement tactics to their daily life when it comes to persuasion and trust and rapport, then they need to listen to something else. <laughs> I'm not going to ask you to spoon feed everybody everything. I mean, no. if you have the emotional intelligence to figure this out, you're in the right place, right? Okay, but we want to hear from you. Roger that. All right. It, it, the baseline, okay? So a baseline is uh, if you've ever seen a, a cop show where somebody's been hooked up to a polygraph or the lie detector, and I'm doing air quotes right now, the lie detector, it is not about the machine. It's about the man or woman operating the machine, and they're watching you like a hawk, right? So it's all about how you respond to certain stimulus and how you react, and they're watching for certain cues. The machine helps out by telling him about you know, your heart rate or how much you're sweating or whether you're shifting in your seat. But your baseline is basically the way that you are normally unstimulated. So right now you and I are having a casual conversation. I'm leaning forward on my desk. You might be sitting back in your chair, but you know, there's no particular stimulation going on here that's evoking an emotional. Yeah, as far or, as you know. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's a, why I'm not using the video camera. It's a, it's a fetching picture, though, that, that you have here up on I the I appreciate screen. it. <laughs> so whatever your normal operating condition is, that's the most important part of initial information because any change from that signals some kind of emotional or intellectual response. So if I say something to you and I notice that you raise an eyebrow, you know, I have to make a mental note of that and say, okay, you know, Jordan responded to that. Now, what does that mean? 
And I have to be particularly attentive to your nonverbal communication or, or even the words that you say and how you say them in response to something I say or do. So the first step in, in achieving success is determining what's normal for them, what sets them off for the positive, what sets them off for the negative, because you're going to use that information to modify your communication style. In other words, if I start speeding up and talking like this and I get super hyperactive and I just want to dump out all kinds of information on you right away and really blast your, your listeners with everything I've got, you cannot respond to me the way you have been for the last 20 minutes because you will bore me to death. Right, right. And, and I've got real world examples of that where, um, you know, somebody comes in and is a classic introvert and starts talking in a voice so low that I can't even hear them. And, um, you know, I'm naturally extroverted guy in social situations, but as soon as, uh, as soon as I realized what, what I was dealing with, I, I, I toned it down and I said, you know, Jane, it's really nice to meet you. I think you're going to really enjoy this breakfast networking meeting. Um, why don't you tell me a little more about your home organizing business? And then, boom, she opened right up. She became a different person because we established instant rapport by subcommunicating that I was, uh, I was like her because I sounded like her and moved like her and acted like her. So understanding how a person communicates and what sets them off is the first and most important part of it. It's really, if you're going to master one thing, don't fool around with pacing, leading, matching, and mirroring, tonality. Those are all tools that are very important. But if you don't know what the expectation is, there's no way you can possibly meet it. What do you mean by what, if you don't know what the expectation is? Like if you don't know what their tonality pacing stuff is like exactly okay so we get their baseline first don't try to like lead them to your mode of communication thought thing your baseline don't try to get everybody excited if you're excited match theirs but in order to match theirs you have to observe them really carefully first now, don't get me wrong, right? And leading somebody into your frame. And if, if you've got NLPers listening to this, they'll recognize a lot of terminology. And I want to say I'm not an NLP guy. I've derived a lot of really quality stuff. It's an awesome science, in my opinion. Um, but I, I sort of cherry pick from it for my own purposes. If, if only it were a science. Yeah. Okay. It's a, it's a, it's cool. Let's leave it there. Yeah. I'm cool. <laughs> I'm cool with leaving it there. Uh, NLP, neuro linguistic programming. It's a pseudoscience, but that doesn't mean it's all bullshit. It just means that it's not science, right? Right. Um, so, uh, you know, what, um, what you first have to do is understand that um, your mission is, first of all, if you want to be understood, if you want to be listened to, if you want to be respected, first strive to understand, to listen, and to respect, Okay, you, you, you gotta give, you gotta follow Cialdini's rules of reciprocity. So you give what you're hoping to get. So you, uh, you gotta first, um, you gotta establish how it is a person communicates. And then, um, once you've done that, you can give it back to them on their own terms. And that's what I mean by expectation. So you don't know, uh, you don't want to walk into a communication fired up and just to, to tell somebody something because the message could be completely lost if you haven't figured out how to say it to them. Interesting. All right. And so you come in, observe, mirror, and that generates a little bit of rapport, trust, etc. But there's got to be more to the story, right? You're profiling somebody, you're using a lot of subcommunication, or you're re- reading a lot of subcommunication. Okay, so f- fine, I'm communicating with them like they're communicating with me. What then? 
Okay, then you go into a full-on sort of rapport-building, relationship-building mode. So, again, you don't want to be tacky and obvious about it. We all know, you know, somebody leans forward and you lean forward right. in exactly the uh, the same way. Communication, especially purpose-driven communication, it takes finesse. So there's no magic bullet. It's something that you have to practice, and it's a perishable skill. So I would lie to you and I would lie to your listeners if I said, you know, there's a one-fits-all, one-size-fits-all system where, you know, if you do this matching mirroring and vocal tonality stuff, 10 times out of 10, you're going to nail it. It's not like that. People are nuanced and it takes a bit of practice to see what they're all about, sort of figure out what they're subcommunicating to you and respond to it appropriately. So the best way to get good at this is to practice, practice with strangers, practice with people that you customarily can't finish a conversation with. So if you have a sibling, you know, you know how it goes, right? You get into something, it turns into an argument about something else. And it's just absolutely off the hook with your little sister or whatever. Practice listening more than you talk, practice subverting your own ego to the purpose of the conversation so that you can make sense of what the person's trying to tell you. And the information will just come at you like a flood if you're mm -hmm. paying attention. Interesting. I think, yeah, because a lot of people spend much more time thinking about what they're going to say next, how to put their next point on the agenda out there, how to get the conversation going in the direction that they want, that they're not actually really present for the input. Exactly. And I call that listening for rather than listening to. The critical mistake that most people make, and this is important in both baselining or reading somebody, and it's vitally important in creating rapport. You must not and you cannot listen just so that you can answer. If you're going to answer somebody, answer with purpose and meaning and do it with something that's relevant. So I want to listen to what you're saying. Try to understand what it means. Try to read between the lines in terms of what you didn't say and why you didn't say it. What is it you're trying to protect yourself from? And then formulate a response. People do this in arguments all the time. You know, you barely get through your point, as you've just mentioned, and I'm already out there with a counterpoint because I picked up something 30% of the way through your, through your monologue, and I'm speaking to it before you, you know, I've decided what I'm going to say before you finish your point. I might have missed the U-turn or, or, or the deviation in the conversation because I'm hung up on what it is I need to say. There's no quicker way to kill a conversation. Got it. Okay, interesting. And I, I think that's actually very true because... When you look at how most of us communicate, we're never actually that interested in what other people have to say. That's the problem that you were just talking about, right? Because even when we are listening, we're listening for rather than listening to. Although your job as an investigator and our job as a somebody who wants to learn to persuade or generate rapport and trust, we have to be the opposite. We have to treat their output as more important than what we want to say or communicate. Absolutely. And it's important to remember that, you see, how the message is received is exactly what it means. So you may not have meant to say what that person thought you said, but it doesn't matter. It only matters what they heard. So you have to often be deliberate. And this is important for your, for your listeners, particularly the guys who are working on, you know, the charm element of your training and learning to be more comfortable in their own skin and learning authenticity and communication is that people want to tell you things. Okay. People are not innately or inherently secretive beings. We're social. And we really just start to concoct these 
dramatic social situations or these little white lies as protection for our ego because we don't trust that the person we're talking to won't take the ball and run with it and do something rude or discourteous. You know, we get that with with, uh, guys who kiss and tell, you know, and things like that. If you're looking to meet women and attract women and master the art of seduction, you better learn to shut up and only talk when you have something important and interesting and insightful to say because women sub-communicate and they read nonverbal communication way more proficiently than men. Oh, yeah. They are on to you when you're full of it. And sometimes they humor you because you're cute or you have nice shoes or whatever. Right. They figure you're insecure and you've got to like get that out of your system. But if you keep at it, you're going to dig your own grave big time. Exactly. It's like the old saying goes, right? You got two ears and one mouth. Use them in proportion. Mm, Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Exactly. Well, all right. So how do you start to think about the meta of a conversation. And this is something I've, I very rarely get to ask this because, but since you're a spy or a former spy, you'll understand it. So how do you read between the lines and what people are saying? Because I would imagine in your job, you probably get more from what people don't say explicitly than the things that they're actually talking about. Oh, absolutely. That's actually where the meat of the conversation is. Um, again, Jordan, practice. So familiarity with people, having a basic understanding of what motivates people. So there are, there are different drives. Some people tend to do things like move towards pleasure. That's when you see those those radical high achievers. The guys are making two, three, four, five hundred thousand dollars a year, totally status and appearance driven, right? And they're mm-hmm. and they're chasing a dream. And then you have the people who uh, move away from pain. So they have nice, secure pension jobs. They play it safe. They go down south for vacation. You know, they get their shots. They don't take risks. And that makes those respective camps happy, right? But that kind of thing, you know, pain versus pleasure comes out in the way that people live and act and carry themselves and how they communicate. How do you read between the lines? Lots and lots of practice in not just conversations with people, but observing people. So I used to go down to um, to the bars with my buddies and we'd people watch. You know, we'd sit and we'd have a pint, we'd have a burger and we'd watch the people walk by. So in Ottawa, where I live, in the two months of summer that we have here, uh-huh. it's gorgeous, but we have a historical part of our downtown, you know, a market with, with uh, open air bars and lots of patios. You know, people just go down, go down to the market is something you hear in Ottawa all the time. And we'd sit there and just watch people. You know, watch the human drama unfold. Try to figure out, you know, why is that guy fighting with that girl? What's this all about? Watch her body language. Oh, he's about to get a slap, you know. So practice builds proficiency. And um, I do this actually. I'm coaching a lot of real estate agents now. And so one of the things that they do is they come to me and they say, I went to list this house and I couldn't get him to sign and I don't understand why. And they'll tell me, they tell me about the client and they tell me about the house and they tell me about the circumstances and I'll tell them what they missed. It's all in the sub communication. You know, somebody may say to you, for example, using the real estate model, uh, you know, this house is a little bit more than I budgeted for. So if you ask somebody on the surface, what does that mean? They might say, well, well, maybe he can't get pre-approved for the mortgage. Sure. Maybe he doesn't make a big income. Sure. You're scratching the surface, right? Maybe the guy doesn't want to tell you that he's bankrupt. Maybe the guy doesn't want to tell you that he's paying child support payments of $5,000 a month because his ex-wife is a crazy you-know-what. Maybe um, the guy has uh, 
put all of his money into a high-risk investment, and his stockbroker just called him and told him it's going to tank. It's a sure thing it's going to tank, and he's sweating bullets. So what does it mean when somebody says, it's a little more than I can afford? When you really start reading between the lines and figuring out what the distinct problem is or the motivation, then you're empowered to speak directly to it, right? I mean, I don't have a lot of money is not a lot of information unless you're listening. Hmm. Yeah, I think that that's an easy skill set to overlook, right? Because you think, well, you know, this, this is, an, is an objection. It has to be handled logically. Oh, well, we can finance it. Meanwhile, the guy's like, I'm not even thinking about that. I've got other problems. It has nothing to do with money. You're just not actually listening to the other channels that are broadcasting here. You're just taking what comes out of my mouth at face value. And that's kind of a classic sales thing. And we, we actually do a lot of drills on reading communication, subcommunication at the boot camps at Art of Charm, obviously, because that's what the bulk of communication is, is subcommunication. And so we focus a lot on, like you said before, observing different people. And you give this cool drill uh, on learning how to read body language and nonverbal communication. Why don't you want to go over that? Yeah, sure. So one of the things that I used to do, I also, I also teach self-defense. So when I was coming up learning that, my instructor used to say, you know, every time you ride a, a bus or you go for a drive, you're walking down the street, look at the people around you and think about how if you were a mugger, you know, or, uh, you know, you wanted their purse or whatnot, how would you attack them to ensure success? Because the principle of being capable of defending yourself is based on understanding how people attack you. You've got to be good at the one to be proficient at the other. And so the same thing can apply in communication. When you're out and about, rather than having your face stuck in your phone or listening to your music or, you know, I, I won't say, you know, it's always worthwhile to listen to the art of charm, but anything other than that's a waste of time. Mm -hmm. um, you want to pay attention and look at how the people around you walk, look at the pace, look at their posture, look at how, if they're talking on the phone, look how their, their reactions change as the conversation goes on, whether or not you can hear what's being said. So just sit and observe people and build familiarity with how their bodies and their faces move and change in reaction to stimulus. So that's one exercise that you can do every day. You can do it frequently. And the things you can look for are things like body language and posture. You can see if you notice recurring habits or tics. So somebody, um, you know, scratches their face quite frequently. That's something to take note of how they dress how they use their personal space. You know, the old standby, if you're looking to make a deal with somebody, look for the guy who's leaning back in his chair with his hands on the back of his head. That's the decision maker in a boardroom. So look how people take up their personal space. Look at the level of eye contact people make with others. You know, you can observe this in a casual conversation. Does somebody break eye contact downwards? Are they looking downward all the time? Will they refuse to make eye contact with you at all or with the person they're talking to? And you can start to, again, I go back to the idea that we, we have all the software for this. You'll start to see trends and you'll start to realize that you actually know what all this nonverbal communication means. You just never stop to think about it. Oh, that's really interesting. Right. Yeah, you already get it. You just don't really look at it all the time, especially if it's not directly related to you. But I want, and I want to jump back to that example you just gave because I think that's brilliant. Like if I'm talking to you and I'm a shy guy and I don't, I'm not looking in you in the, in the eye, you don't know if I'm shy or if I just maybe am lying to you about 
what you asked me. However, if you watched me for 20 minutes prior to that and you saw that I don't look anyone in the eye, now that's not a signal. It's not, right. it means nothing. It just means that I'm shy. It's part of my baseline. Exactly. And if I don't, if I don't have the luxury of, of baselining you for 20 minutes, I have to start taking into account everything else. So, you know, if you're never looking at me, what's the rest of your posture telling me? Um, what does your voice do when I ask you poignant questions or questions that are maybe slightly personal, but not that invasive, you know, um, what, do you take this bus all the time? Well, I, I mean, to a casual observer, that's not a nosy question. To a spy, that tells me exactly where you live and what time you go to work, you know? So looking at all of the factors, all the subcommunication, and then matching it up with what comes out of your mouth. Wow. Wow, that's very interesting. And we're getting the baseline all the time from our kids, our boss, our spouse. That's why people like your mom and your wife can be like, you're lying. And you're like, how the fuck do you know that? Yeah, How exactly. do you know that? Like, I can't even keep a secret that involves me not saying anything from my girlfriend because she's like, you're being weird. And I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm trying so hard not to be weird. And of course, that's what looks weird. Right? I found that if you just tell her you're hungry, it, you can get away with it 50% of that's the time. brilliant. I'm totally using that. <laughs> Are you hiding an engagement ring? No, I'm just really hungry. Oh, okay. Huh. Yeah. And my mom, my mom was killer at that. She always knew when I was lying just because, I mean, and nobody knows somebody like a mother knows their children. And so that's a perfect example of having an innate understanding of the baseline. And you'll get that if you've got a friend who you've been friends with for five, 10, 15 years, childhood, guy calls you up and says, Hey, Jordan, how's it going? You want to go out for a beer? Without even seeing the guy, you could say, wait a minute. What is it? Right. Like, yeah, we go out for beers every Thursday, but something's different about you. Yeah. So you, you start to process the people's norms innately once you, and you take it for granted, right? There, we're, we're a species that is bombarded with information. If you think about it, Jordan, do you drive, um, to the same place with any frequency, say to the gym or to your girlfriend's house or, you know, to your favorite, uh, restaurant? Yeah, of course. I go, yeah, I go to the same places all the time. Okay, so here, here's something from the spy world, right? Here's a big no-no. How often do you drive the exact same way every time you go to the same place? Oh, yeah. I mean, I generally go the exact same way. I go one of three ways, probably. You listen to the radio when you're driving? No. You don't? Okay. Well, I do. But I couldn't tell you the last five songs that were on the radio because I'm not paying attention. I don't know how many stop signs are between here and my favorite restaurant or the average amount of pedestrian traffic or the stoplight cycle because I'm on autopilot. Okay. There's literally a ton of information going on in the world around me that I completely ignore. And I drive a manual, right? So I, I'm shifting and I'm downshifting and braking and signaling and doing all of that. And I just completely ignore all of that input because I'm on autopilot. Now, we do that when we communicate. All right, back to Adam Nasrallah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we communicate on autopilot. In fact, there are a few episodes of this show where you can go back and you can tell I'm probably on autopilot. Yeah, you're doing all right right now. Oh, I appreciate it. <laughs> so what are we looking for? The body language, the posture, speech patterns, weird fidgets. What else? 
Well, there's so much. I mean, you can go to body language 101, like the positioning of the feet and the way that people's eyes move in relation to something that you say or do. Um, you have to be careful with some of the old standbys. I remember one of them, um, when I was being taught some of this stuff, we had a couple of old Montreal cops, you know, and Montreal is a tough town. It's, um, but we had this one guy. Really? It doesn't sound tough. Oh, run by gangsters, my friend. Really? Oh, yeah. It's very cosmopolitan, but uh, yeah, it's a tough town. It can it can be for the police. We've got this real language divide here in Canada and certain parts of Canada, so that there's a lot of politics that come into play on the everyday uh, sort of socio-cultural sphere. But uh, we had a couple old Montreal cops, and the guy says, all right, I'm sitting here, and uh, I'm leaning back in my chair, and I got my arms crossed, so what does it mean? And somebody pipes up and says, you're closed off. You're not interested in the conversation. Why do you say that? My arm, your arms are crossed. Yeah, well, I'm a little short, fat French guy, and this is the only way I feel comfortable. Maybe I'm just sitting comfortably, okay? And you have to watch for that kind of thing because if you make too many assumptions about, you know, what you think the body language means, you could be way off. You have to be cognizant of the whole picture. So the body language often um, is paired with or precedes verbal communication. For example, if you're um, telling somebody that you had an amazing game of dodgeball. And as you say the word amazing, just a uh, fraction of a second before you say amazing, you give them a thumbs up. Okay. If you if visualize this with me, Jordan, and if your viewers are listening, take a second and visualize so you can see how, how ridiculous this is. Imagine you're about to say, we had an amazing game of dodgeball. Now visualize yourself just before you say amazing, just a half a second, you give a thumbs up and a smile. Okay. Now, I want you to repeat the exercise and say, we had an amazing, pause, thumbs up, game of dodgeball. One of those seems a little weird and out of place, right? Yeah, yeah. The delayed body language. And that's because honest body language slightly precedes what you're saying. So sales are way up. My hand should be up over my head in an illustrative motion just before I say way up. If this is a premeditated conversation and I'm really into my PowerPoint and I'm going through the motions, my body language will be incongruent with my verbals. Yes, and we've talked about this before. And whenever your body language is incongruent with what you're saying, which one do we believe? <laughs> yeah, and, and sometimes it can be a tough call. But the body language itself may be deceptive. That in itself is a meta, like you say, right? You may not gain any useful content information from the body language because it's been prefabricated. But what you do get out of it is that the person's lying or trying to mislead you. Right. And it's actually, and tell me what you think of this, I've heard and I know from my experience, or I think from my experience, it's harder for your body to lie. I mean, it's, it's really hard. You have to be like a damn good actor to lie with your body. And even then... If your body language and the words don't match and you're not an Academy Award winning actor, it's going to be problematic for you because people who are be, paying yeah. attention are going to be like, wait a second. Yeah, absolutely. If, if they don't match, people tend to their, – their creepy radar goes off and uh, they can tell that something's amiss in the conversation. Now, I'll, I'll tell you something. It is possible to master the art of deceptive body language. It takes a bit of practice, and there are people that are really very good at it, and you would never know. And those are the people that are uh, practiced persuaders, like con artists, very gifted actors, that type of thing. But it, it can be done, and it should not be done. I usually tell people when I'm teaching them about persuasion and, and communication that manipulation 
and persuasion in and of themselves are not bad things, right? If you have a principled aim and there's a win-win on the table and you're getting on a plane to go to Syria is really not in his best interests, um, you're damn right I would lie to him with my body. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. And I don't think I'd feel bad about it. But yeah, you really have to weigh the costs and benefits, right? Yeah, absolutely. Gosh, I wonder what's happening to those kids that are doing that. (laughs) You don't want to know. Oh, man. So, because we have the body language one, right? Like observe people, maybe pick like three to five every day in everyday situations at the coffee shop, getting breakfast, on the bus, at work, whatever you want to do. Better if they're strangers probably because then you don't have a baseline and try to establish that baseline. And then maybe go talk to them. Who knows? Is that the next step? Is that the next level? It is. It is. And working without a baseline is something you should do. You should work on cold approaching. I know they they call it approaching in the the seduction schools, but working (laughs) without a baseline is like a trapeze artist or a a tightrope walker without a net, right? You have to learn to think on your feet and, and baseline as you go and respond. So one of the things that you can do, throw away the whole baseline exercise. Tomorrow when you get on the bus, follow the five second rule, go up to some stranger and start a conversation. And using all of the art of charm toolbox, so you've got body language and vocal tonality, good eye contact, if the situation calls for it, a handshake or another type of physical greeting, and you're going to try and establish instant rapport with strangers and try to talk to them for no more than two minutes. Okay, so we don't want to get in a prolonged conversation. What you want to do is create a just that water level of trust Talk to them for no more than two minutes. See if you can get some kind of personal revelation. You know, the name of the workplace. What's the name of their dog? Uh, What's the name of their girlfriend or boyfriend? Then thank them for having such a great chat. Wish them a great day. Ask them if, you know, uh, they can get in touch with you again sometime. You know, give me your email address, your phone number. I I thought we really clicked. You're pushing the envelope a little bit here after two minutes, right? But we want to see if you can maintain your composure in public and, and, come away with a takeaway and then uh, just walk away smiling and do that three or four, five times a day. You're going to find that that's a little bit uncomfortable, um, but it's really essential to rapidly building rapport and demonstrating confidence and using good body language. If you can walk up to a total stranger, learn something personal about them, get their contact information and imagine this. The next day, you're going to phone them up and say, hey, listen, we bumped into each other on the bus. It was a, I was just thinking about, uh, you want to you wanna go walk your dog with mine or something like that? And really like push yourself. They might say no. They might think you're weird, but that's not the point. The point is to take yourself out of the comfort zone and to realize that you know people are just people. And if you approach communication properly, you're going to get a lot more yeses than you get noes once you're fairly proficient at it. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, this sounds like something we do at AOC Bootcamp as well. Um, we have a couple of twists on it where we tweak it and really tailor it for each student as well. But I, I love this exercise because what it does is not only does it show you how easily this can be done by pretty much anyone, but you see the results go through the roof. Whereas something people think, oh, it's going to take days, weeks, months, years to get this kind of results. You can see it in a few hours if you're really pushing yourself in the right way. And, of course, given the mastery over the nonverbal and verbal communication stuff as well. So Absolutely. I love it. And so, all right, is, what can we do after that? I, I love just taking things to, to the extreme. So what can we do after that to even further hone our skill set in this area? 
All right. What you can do now is you really want to start taking social risks, right? And for most young men, so for your, your listeners, social risks are going to be things like getting rejected by hot women, right? Or being embarrassed in a club or having your ego crushed. So that's exactly what we're going to do. You're going to, um, you look back at your, your phone list of three to five new friends that you made in the last week and you're going to, you're going to a lunch date with no more than two of them. So invite two of them. They don't know each other, right? So now you're going to have to broker a little bit of relationship building and a little bit of influence between two strangers. Go to a restaurant that's high profile, little expensive, has really beautiful and sophisticated and snobby waiters and waitresses, okay? They really just way, they, they believe they're way out of your league. And what you're going to do as the, a member of a group of three to four people is use your body language and your mannerisms to establish yourself as, and I hate to use the word, but I mean, it's fitting for the situation as the alpha of the group. So you're the leader of the group. Okay. So that's going to mean learning how to take control of the space that you're sharing with the other people, uh, controlling and pushing the conversation with the server, um, you know, playing off of your friends, playing off of the server. And what I want you to do is this is a mixed exercise. So there's some rapport building going on here between you and your group, between you and the server. There's some baseline going on because as you know, serving, serving is a tough business. They, they play nice because they need tips. They get, they get paid less than minimum wage in Canada. So you're going to strike up a small relationship and build rapport on the spot with your waiter or waitress. And, and while you're doing that, I want you to try and figure out from their nonverbal communication, whether they actually find you charming or if they're just pushing for a bigger tip. Okay. How do we do that? (laughs) Practice, practice, practice. You can usually tell, you may not be able to do it on the first pass, but you can usually tell if you go back to the restaurant a couple of days later and that server comes and sits with you or comes up to you when you're not in their section or not one of their tables and they remember you and they come and talk to you. So you should leave anchors and conversation points that you can, that they can pick up on. You know, you want to create a little bit of intrigue around yourself, but you also want to push a little. One of the tools of elicitation and persuasion is to make characterizations of people. So if, if you don't want to come out and say, you know, Jordan, how much did you pay for that car? You know, that might be far, a little too personal. I might say, Jordan, you're the kind of guy that would drop 60 to 70 on a car like that. I can see it because, you know, you have taste and you have money and you're not ashamed to uh, put your money in things that make you proud. And you might go, yeah, yeah, you're right. So if you agree with my characterization of you, you've tacitly endorsed my price range. I, I may have hit it right on the head. I may not have, but, but I'm getting closer to learning something about your net worth without you saying it explicitly to me. So you're going to make characterizations about your server. And you say, you know, ah, you know, like get away from me. You're the kind of girl who's just going to be all kinds of trouble for me and my friends because you're going to hang around here and hope we notice you. <laughs> right. Yeah. And you know, if, if they bite on that kind of thing, then you start to get a sense of the personality and, and you can start to play off of that. And you want to try and create in the short term, a social situation that's comfortable, playful, flirtatious, open, engaging for everybody without it being weird or creepy. Because this is where most of these, um, you know, restaurant or bar room staff seduction attempts fall down as they don't realize that it's getting creepy. So yeah, you, you gotta again be paying attention. 
And by doing this, you're fine tuning your baseline ability because if you walk out of there thinking, oh yeah, that waitress totally wants me. And then yeah. you overhear her laughing behind your back as you're walking down the stairs, you've got some work to do. But um, as you build your baselining ability, the natural follow on to that is that your rapport building skills get better. And as you get better at building rapport, you get better at planting seeds and persuading people and leaving them with ideas that they naturally want to take up because they like you. They think you're cool. They think you're attractive. So any idea that you put in their head must be worth considering because, hey, you know, he's that, that Jordan guy. He's all right. So you're pushing into the persuasion frame by building a little bit of familiarity. And the reason you're dragging two strangers out is because you want the social pressure of not falling flat on your face and looking like that weird loser that tries to pick up waitresses and is totally awkward. Yeah, absolutely. Well, So a little bit of pressure is a good thing in these type of situations, right? Yes, absolutely. Put yourself in that situation where you've got to perform, right? And and uh, there are a couple of people I know that, that have had this same type of situation. Seriously, I mean, years and years ago, I knew a guy who was essentially homeless and and there was a video on Vice about another guy similar but this guy wasn't as, as much of a sleazebag he was just kind of a bum in a lot of other ways just lazy and kind of college age let's see if I can get away with and do this and he worked at a bar and every day he would meet different girls and he would sort of keep them in this rotation and he would sleep over at their house every night and if he didn't he would call a handful of dudes and be like hey can I sleep on your porch can I crash yeah. on your couch? This pressure was for survival. And eventually he got his act together. He was a normal guy. He was just kind of ch- being a weird college kid. And he was so good at that particular skill. It actually blew up in his face. It was hard for him to maintain relationships when he did like someone because he was so used to that pressure of succeed or sleep outside Yeah, that he had to do. But yes, put yourself in a situation where you're reading baselines testing those baselines by talking with people or non-baselines, you know, just by going up and talking with people. And then, yeah, see if you can generate those connections uh, and throw a little throw a little bit of pressure on yourself. If you can manage that, then you know you can do it when you need to, you know, at work, in business, et cetera. Absolutely. And, you know, I'm a big proponent. There's a lot of feel-good, and you like to use the term woo-woo out there, a lot of people selling, you know, systems or methods and promising that, you know, if you just follow these steps, it'll all be gravy. It's not like that. Everything that's worthwhile getting good at takes some work, it takes a bit of sacrifice. There are going to be times where you try this stuff and you're going to be scared shitless. You know, you're going to be so uncomfortable, so nervous, you're not going to want to do it. And you know what? That's a really good thing. Because when you overcome that, the obstacle that you thought it was is meaningless. The next time you try it, it will be quite a bit easier. And by the third or fourth time, it won't even register. Most public speakers who are amazing still get butterflies in their stomachs when they go up and speak in front of 300, 5,000, a stadium full of people. They are not 100% confident every time. They're still shaky as hell. The difference is they've learned to love that feeling and they've learned to put it aside and get the job done because that drives them rather than paralyzing them. Excellent. Thanks, man. Is there anything else that I haven't asked you that you want to get communicate on this show? I would just like to say I'm a big fan, Jordan. I um, Every time I listen to the intro of your show um, and you mention things like vocal tonality and persuasion and body language and nonverbals, you know, you have my buy-in because I've lived this stuff. I've worked it in high-stakes circumstances. And for your listeners, it's worthwhile looking into it. 
if you know if they can get access to you, the stuff you're teaching works. It makes sense and it's applicable in the real world. Thank you very much, man. Now, next next stop, Ottawa Canada Spy School. My guest lecture from the Art of Charm. Fantastic. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you very much, man. And of course, we'll link to Ronan Intel dot com as ronin intel.com we'll link to that in the show notes if you want well tell what services do you provide for corporations and individuals because we didn't kind of we kind of touched on that but it was a little bit like wait what yeah fair enough for corporations and individuals we do primarily training in the disciplines of communication persuasion and relationship building and we tailor it to your sector so whether it's salesmanship or team building or re-engineering your corporate culture the first step is learning how to properly communicate with people and build the relationships within your organization or with your clients or managing up and building relationships with your management. So we teach organizations how to become, get back to their own humanity and use those tools to create influence internally and externally. And we also do small group and individual coaching for people who are winners. They're already achievers and they're looking for new challenges. So when I find that people are behind every significant challenge. So when you cannot make heads or tails of a person that's in front of you and you need to know what they're thinking, what motivates them, how you can connect with them, you bring that to me and I help you decipher the human motivation and go back with a game plan. Excellent. This sounds super interesting, obviously, and maybe I'll come to one of your classes. Who knows? Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it, and I know the audience does as well. Thanks for having me on. It was, been, it was great. Interesting. I love the stuff about learning a baseline, the body language, the posture, the habits, the tics, the fidgets, the personal style, the dress, personal space, how they use it, the eye contact that they make with you or don't make with you. All that stuff makes for a great sort of lie detection, but also just for great people watching in general. And of course, for developing trust and rapport for whatever hopefully positive purposes that you guys find yourself using this stuff for. I hope you enjoyed this one. And of course, show feedback and any guest suggestions that you do have. The show's a fanarchy. It's run by you. So we rely on you to help keep our finger on the pulse. And if you know someone who's a good fit for the show, let me know. I'm Jordan at theartofcharm.com. And if you enjoy this, don't forget to thank Adam on Twitter. We'll have that linked in the show notes as well. Bootcamp details for our live programs, theartofcharm.com slash bootcamp. And remember to subscribe to the show in iTunes. Of course, we also have our iPhone and Android apps at theartofcharm.com slash iPhone or slash Android. Write us a review in iTunes. Special thanks to the Jasons for their help in production of the Art of Charm podcast. And tell your friends, because the greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to someone else, either in person or shared on the web. Now have a great week and leave everything and everyone better than you found them. Thanks for listening to the Art of Charm. Get more confidence, relationship skills, life hacks, and everything for the extraordinary man at theartofcharmpodcast.com. 